Welcome to the Tennessee Achieves podcast, dedicated to and inspired by our students who for over a decade have broken cycles, conquered obstacles, overcome barriers, and exceeded expectations. In turn, our students have also inspired Tennessee Achieves, a nonprofit designed to increase the percentage of Tennessee students earning a college credential. Operating in partnership with Tennessee Promise, Tennessee Achieves works with thousands of high school students each year as they transition to and through college. We believe successful students result in thriving communities. The Tennessee Achieves podcast will share stories of students, their mentors who provide encouragement, and our countless partners who contribute to this movement. Each meant to leave you a bit smarter about transitioning from high school to college and a bit shrewder about navigating college. No one loves Tennessee Achieves more than me. Here we go. Hi, and welcome to the Tennessee Achieves podcast. It's an exciting day because we have our leader here to talk about the critical role he played in the development of Knox Achieves, Tennessee Achieves, Tennessee Promise, Drive to 55. The list goes on and on. If I read a bio about Randy Boyd, it would literally take up all the time that we have on the podcast I can tell you this, no one has a bigger heart for philanthropy. He not only gives of his funds, but also of his time. Um, He is relentlessly focused. He is my mentor in every possible way in life and just about the best guy I know uh, on the planet. So, so thrilled to have him here to share his story. Hey, Randy. Hey, Chrissy. Well, that was probably the absolute best introduction I think I've ever had. The only thing that I would have to disagree with, though, is that the leader of Tennessee Achieves is Chrissy Alejandro. I'm just the proud supporter. Well, there would be no Tennessee Achieves yeah. without Randy Boyd. We make a good team. How about this is, that? I'll, I'll agree with that. <laughs> so we're just going to kick off by, why don't you share a little bit uh, of your background? Where'd you grow up? Uh, and sort of, you know, what you did and where you went to school, those sorts of things. Hey, I grew up in South Knoxville. I went to... Uh, Doyle High School, back when it was Doyle, before it was South Doyle. Um, My dad started a company making electric fencing for cattle and horses when I was eight years old. So he gave me the honor, and I thought it was, of uh, working on the factory floor at eight years old, making (laughs) a dollar an hour, which was big money for an eight-year-old. Taught me the value of work and and to appreciate uh, people that show up for work every day and and do uh, what some people might consider uh, just uh, labor. But uh, I I loved it and loved the teamwork and the esprit de corps and Paid my way through college working at the same factory. Um, nobody in my family had ever gone to college, but Dad said um, he wouldn't give me money to go to college, but he'd allow me to work to pay my way through. That time, it was only $172 a quarter at UT, so it was affordable. And uh, I thought it was a, I was a, the luckiest kid in the world to be able to have actually a job to pay my own way through. Um, when you uh, pay your own way through, you do it as inexpensively as possible. It turned out that um, at the time, that for that $172, you could either go for 14 hours to be a full-time student, or you could take up to 22 hours. And I remember being in the very first uh, orientation, which the lady shared that with me. And I said, you, you mean I can get 22 hours for the same price? Well, heck, <laughs> sign me up for 22 hours. Uh, so I did that. And I, as a result, I was able to uh, graduate from the University of Tennessee, first in my family's history to graduate uh, with no debt uh, at age 19. 
Um, and I always tell people it wasn't because I was smart. It was just because I was cheap. It's just cheaper to graduate early. <laughs> that was kind of, the, I guess, the, big, the early days. If, if maybe we'll stop at that. So big deal to be the first in your family to go to college. Were you intimidated by that process or did you feel like it was a pretty easy transition for you? I don't know that it was, uh, uh, I was intimidated, but I just didn't know. So there wasn't anything to be intimidated about. Most of my, my close friends in high school were, were going off to college. Um, registering at the University of Tennessee at that time was fairly straightforward. I went to orientation. Can't say that I got everything right. I, remember I knew that I wanted to do something in business, went to orientation, and the presenter shared all these different majors, and one of which was industrial management. And I thought, hmm. I'd like to manage an industry. So I signed up for that. Turned out the degree had nothing to do with managing an industry, but I didn't discover that until my my, thir my third year in college, but that was okay. I was too stubborn to, to turn back. So maybe I could have potentially chosen a different major, but, um, but it, it worked out. But it was a big deal in my family to be the first to, to go to college and my sisters followed. So I'm hopeful that I, I maybe pioneered a, a new way, but the whole process uh, helped create a passion in me to provide more access to more people to be able to go to college. It's changed my life dramatically. And I can't imagine where I would have been, what, what would have happened if I hadn't had that opportunity. I was fortunate enough to have a father that could give me a job, but so many other kids don't. And so making sure that more kids have that same opportunity has been something that's driven me for, for decades. So at the core of launching Knox Achieves was this first-generation student that understood the gravity of making the leap, the first in your family to pursue college. Was that sort of, I, I know the, the story of the famous breakfast, but was that really what was sort of pulsing through your mind when you had the conversation with Mayor Ragsdale? No, frankly, I didn't really come to that until maybe a, a, a bit later. <laughs> now, the truth is that I just had a general passion for education in general. You know, at the time I'd been teaching uh, junior achievement classes to sixth graders. Uh, and teaching business and entrepreneurship to uh, to these uh, young people. And I, I love giving back and, and, and I've always been passionate about education in general. I believe I'm a Boy Scout, as you know, and uh, in Boy Scouts, you know, as a Boy Scout master uh, for 17 years, I teach the boys about, of course, the the oath and the laws. And we teach them about the, the motto, do, uh, uh, be prepared and the slogan, do a good turn daily. But then also we talk to them about the code of the outdoors and the code of the outdoors said there's a longer version, but the short version is leave every trail better than you found it. And so I teach that to the boys and tell them that this wasn't just about how we behaved in the outdoors. And we literally did. I leave every trail better than we found it. We'd pick up other people's gum wrappers. It didn't matter if it wasn't ours. Always pick up other people's things and leave it better than you found it. But also told them this was a metaphor for life. We want to make sure we leave the world a better place than we found it. And so I try to, I try to live that same, I live by that same, uh, 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 mantra myself. And one of the things that I believe that you can do to make the world a better place is improving education. I believe that education is the inflection point of everything. If you want to make a difference in the world, there's no better way to do it than uh, investing in education. So that's why I've, so when uh, Mayor Ragsdale came to me with this idea around sending more kids to college, I was already pre-sold. I think later on, as I saw the opportunities we were providing people that wouldn't have otherwise been able to go, I realized, you know, how fortunate I had been and, uh, and how much of a responsibility we had to make sure others had the same opportunity. Yeah. So side note, my Oliver actually is part of the 
path that you started for the Boy Scout. So I know all about the oath and the creed and oh. all those things. And thanks to you, uh, 757 is still going strong. So yeah. thank you for that. Boy Scouts is an amazing organization. It's great to, to see the the continuing leadership. They New leaders come in and make, keep making it even better. He loves that's, it. That's so great. thank you for that. So returning back to the, the launch of Knox Achieve. So from my perspective, I remember you coming into Mayor Ragsdale's office. I was super nervous at the time. I think I was 26 years old, pitching someone a big idea that I had been working on for several months. Super nervous because the mayor put a lot of pressure on like, this is the guy that we have to bring along. And you probably don't remember this, but you left and you called me literally 30 minutes later and said, I've raised $1.2 million in cash and pledges. Let's do this. And I often share with people I've been sprinting, trying to catch you <laughs> since that moment, uh, not easily done. But uh, talk to me about like raising dollars. Like oftentimes when we are talking about this program, people get hung up on free. And I always say that the funding is the carrot, but it was incredibly important in, to us in the beginning to have some early buy-in from business and industry that understood the mission and wanted to be a, a part of what we were building. Well, I know at that time I had been attending many meetings where people from some other organization would come in from the chamber or from the uh, Department of Education and share how you know, the state of Tennessee was 42nd or 46th in, in education or, or post-secondary attainment and, and uh, you know, slide after slide about how bad things were. And at the end of their presentation, they would conclude by saying, well, we just thought you'd like to know and they'd leave. Nobody ever gave you an action item. And I'd been in meetings like that with many people in the community, leaders in the community that that uh, shared the frustration, recognized the challenge, but and were looking for something to do to make a difference. And so when you and the mayor shared this idea of at the time, knock what we decided to call Knox Achieves, um, I knew that there's a, a ready and willing group of uh, philanthropists that would be willing to step up. To what level I didn't know. You know, I was sold on it. So I'll I'll share this because it's public record, but. Um, so I, I committed a hundred thousand a year for the first three years, and um, it was relatively easy with that point to then go to other people that had far much uh, far or more money than I did, wealth than I did, and ask them just to match me. So I I go to multiple people and say, you know, look, I'm I'm in this for a hundred thousand a year uh, for three years. I, I'm not going to ask you for any more than I'm willing to do myself. Will you match me? And uh, within a pretty quick order, we had uh, three other people uh, willing willing to match. So. Um, you know, we have people like Tim Williams, Jim Clayton, uh, and Rich Ray that have been uh, with us from the very beginning. You know, I remember uh, when I agreed to um, help, the first person I went to was our, our, our fellow board member and great friend, Tim Williams. And I asked him um, if he would be willing to help. And he said he'd help raise half the money as long as I would be chairman. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's how I ended up being chairman. I think oftentimes Tim and Rich are overlooked in this story, and there would really be no Knox Achieves or Tennessee Achieves without them. I mean, they've been yeah. so instrumental behind the scenes, working to make sure the program is successful and funding the program. And oftentimes we don't celebrate them enough, yeah. I believe. They, they've been, they were co-founders. They were there at the start. They helped us raise the money at the start. They've been on the board from the very beginning. And they, they were interesting both of them, I'd say, are interesting combination of passion with strong fiscal stewardship, which is a nice way of putting it. They're, <laughs> they're watching the dollars, and they've always have. And I think you know, a big part of our culture at uh, uh, Tennessee Achieves, obviously, 
you've you've led it, but they've they've influenced the um, the the, the uh, very conservative uh, financial uh, management. Yes, I think that's <laughs> just a euphemism for. And I tell people often, I think I'm uniquely positioned to lead Tennessee Achieves because I'm cheap. I don't know how to spend money. Which yeah, I another know. word. Another word's cheap, but we, we are we are a cheap organization. <laughs> I know, that's too. a good thing. Yeah, it is. When, We're when lean. People are, when people are donating their money, they want to see it go directly to the kids, not not to us. And so the the more that we can uh, manage our costs, the the I think the more pe- willing people are to invest in us. Well, and it was always important to me that we have an effective and efficient organization. And so I feel like we've been successful in that space. You definitely have. So we brought to you this idea of a last dollar scholarship focused on community colleges, really thinking about serving that the student like us, the first generation student who never thought that college was an option and coupling it with the supports that we felt they needed, the the volunteer mentor, which has really become the heart of the program. But you brought the third pillar to the table, going back to the Boy Scouts, with this idea of students giving eight hours of community service each semester. Why was that so important to you? Well, as you know, have heard me said many times, um, you know, I, it's easy for me to brag about Tennessee Achieves because one, I don't do any of the work. You do, you and your team do all the work. And two, I didn't really have the idea. That, but the only thing I did contribute, if I take any credit, would be the idea of the community service uh, aspect. And you know, being in Boy Scouts, it was a natural. Uh, you know, in, in Boy Scouts, every time you earn a, a merit badge, you get a promotion uh, in rank, you have to do some type of community service. And so I thought, you know, if the community is going to be doing this much for these young people, they should do something back for the community. And so we required each of them to do one day's worth of community service. And it's not, it uh, should not be a burden. It's a, it is something that they need to do. But the real hope is that not only will they actually contribute the hours that they need during the program, but through that process, they'll find something that they get passionate about themselves. And maybe they'll create a passion that lasts a lifetime, or at least gets them started in giving back in, in, in their own right. And uh, as I, you probably know, the most recent number, I think the last time I heard, we were well over two and a half million hours in community service, which makes us the largest community service project in the history of the state. And it's just a side benefit of Tennessee Achieves. 2.76 million hours and counting, yeah. right? They're still coming in every day. That's a problem with Tennessee Achieves. Every 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 stat that I memorize uh, gets, gets the, the record gets broken within hours. Yeah, it's a problem here. Every time we put out an annual report, the team gets upset with me because within three days, it's sort of outdated. Yeah. But nonetheless, 2.76 million, a lot of hours. Um, and certainly you get all the credit for the idea of, and I love that aspect. And I love the idea of cultivating a generation that's already uh, entrenched in giving back to the community. So walk us through, we spent three years in Knoxville, began spreading in 2011, our mission across the state, uh, and you played a, a, a huge role in the launch of our state's drive to 55. I know you, and you think about big, hairy, audacious goals. So talk about when you went to serve as Governor Haslam's special advisor, why was that so important to you? Well, as, as you remember, when we first started, we were it was, uh, the goal was just to send kids to, to college in Knox County. I remember maybe in year two, we hadn't actually moved to, to Blount County or Madison County yet, the next two counties, and thinking just in Knox County alone, wouldn't it be great maybe 20 years in the future if, as a team, we were able to send 10,000 kids to college from Knox County? That would be a great life's accomplishment. 
but uh, then things changed on us. Uh, one, you got a grant for about $900,000 from THEC mm-hmm. to allow us to expand to uh, about 14 adjacent counties in East Tennessee. Governor Haslam got elected. One of our former our first board members got elected as governor and decided to uh, have an uh, inauguration party of which, at which the, the funds that were raised went to us. And so we used those monies to uh, uh, expand to Lake County. I forgot Ca- about that, yeah, we, we, Yeah. It, so, and we right. used the funds to go to Lake County. He suggested we'd go somewhere out mm-hmm. west. So we found Lake County. So we had this other little county way out to the other end of the, the state. Uh, I guess maybe two different threads. So that's that story as, as Tennessee achieves is expanding and we're continuing to go to other counties. We went to Shelby County, yes. which was one of the I always talk about my two favorite breakfasts. The first one was with Mayor Ragsdale. The second one was going to Shelby County. Uh, Governor Haslam went with us. You were there. We had uh, Pitt Hyde invite over 50 of the leading philanthropists in in Shelby County to this breakfast. Um, I gave my pitch. Uh, Governor Haslam gave a pitch. Uh, Pitt Hyde gave a pitch. And uh, the city mayor at the time. And at the end of it, and I kind of used the same ploy that I did here and said, um, look, I'm not even from Memphis, but I'm willing to pledge 100000 a year for the next three years because I believe in this. And then Pitt Hyde, who was already pre-programmed to do this, he stood up and said- <laughs> It was an amazing yeah, difference. I, I will match you. And then I think that shamed all the banks and other people into doing something. So all the banks started standing up. The next thing you know, we, we raised over a million dollars at that breakfast to kick off Shelby Achieve. So now we're statewide, but at the end of 2014, we were still- uh, only in 27 counties. And while you can be excited about the 27 counties and the reach to 51% of the population, we offered scholarships to 24,000 students sent 5,000. Um, still, I felt like we were failing in two really mm-hmm. big ways. One was that um, there's the 95 counties in the state of Tennessee, so the 68 counties that we weren't serving were our, our poorest counties. They That's were the right. ones I just couldn't find people to make the donation. And then two, we were only able to offer scholarships to people, uh, to kids, as a senior in high school. So we had, we would ask for pledges three years in advance. We could never reach those kindergartners and uh, and their parents early on so they could start changing their behavior and preparing themselves. And so Governor Haslam asked me to be a special advisor on higher education. Actually, it was a title he made up, we made up. I actually, I remember emailing him one Sunday morning from my from my uh, office at, at home, just saying, yeah, okay, I'll, be, I'll agree to do this. Um, what's my title? He says, well, make something up. Well, I don't know. How about special advisor to higher education? <laughs> so that's how, how that came about. It's amazing the kind of jobs you can get when you're willing to work for free, by the way. But uh, anyway. I don't think uh, that's the reason you got the job for the record. But Well, <laughs> I was a good buy. We'll say that. And our governor is also very frugal. <laughs> but anyway, uh, as we started off in, uh, as a special advisor to higher education, like any organization, um, you have to know where you're going. You need to have a mission. And if you don't have a mission, when you go around asking for people for ideas on how to improve education, all the ideas sound the same. I talked to 100 people or more in the first three months um, asking their ideas to improve education, uh, higher education in the state of Tennessee, and got tons and tons of ideas. But if you don't have a mission, um, they also, it's hard to, hard to prioritize them. A great uh, a, a idea should move you further and faster towards your, towards your goal. Again, if you don't have a goal, it's hard to know which one, which ideas are good ones. So we needed a mission. Um, long story, but met with uh, Rich Rhoda at the uh, Tennessee Higher Education Commission. Um, we had a mission at the time of getting to 42% post-secondary attainment by the year 2025. When I asked them how we got to that, he said, well, today we're at uh, 32%, 42nd in the country, 
if we can get to 42%, we'll be um, average in the end. It will it'll be the national average. So we'll, being national average doesn't seem like a really great mission. Uh, where should we be? Well, Gates Foundation, Georgetown, Lumina all say that you're, by the year 2025, we need to be at 55% to meet the workforce needs of the economy of the state of Tennessee. So it seemed pretty obvious we needed to be at 55%. Sold that idea to the governor, came up with it also for my library at the house one Sunday morning, sent the, sent the idea by or sent it to him saying, hey, why don't we call this the drive to 55? Um, and he emailed back saying, yeah, that sounds fine. So that's how <laughs> we spent about 15 seconds on it. And and agreed, and, uh, and then he launched the drive to 55 at the state of the state in January 2013. In January 2014, we announced the Tennessee Promise. There were five strategies to get us to the drive to 55, and Tennessee Promise was, was the key one, which allowed us to do two things. Created an endowment so that we could uh, be able to guarantee scholarships forever. And second, uh, gave us the funding to be able to offer uh, this opportunity to all 95 counties. It was a, a pretty pretty big day for us. It was a huge day for us. I remember thinking, like, I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that we could take our little program statewide and offer it to every student. It's been such a fun adventure. And thinking about, I was actually presenting in UT's new student union building last night and talking about all our decade of statistics and uh, I don't know if you find this crazy, but we've served almost 400,000 students have come through our program, 383,000, um, and nearly 100,000 students have gone to college with, <clears throat> excuse me, with Tennessee Achieve. So thinking about all the things you could have invested in, um, why do you think this was so important for our state? Uh, well, looking back, I don't think there could have been anything that we could have done that could have been more transformative because at the end of the day, uh, I think what we've done is is uh, created hope where it wasn't and changed the culture of the state of Tennessee. I remember when Governor Haslam asked me about uh, what I thought would be our biggest barrier to achieving the, the drive to 55. Um, I remember giving him a, a fairly quick answer at the time. And uh, since I've come to conclude it was actually the, the right answer. And that is, I told him, I think the biggest challenge to us accomplishing our goal of getting 55% of our population with some kind of post-secondary degree by the year 2025 is um, our culture, a culture of low expectation. And I know, Chrissy, you've been to uh, so many counties across the state, so many communities in which people don't believe that they they should go to college. You know, in the maybe the community that you grew up, it's not what people did. In uh, my family, that's not what people did. And there's so many places in which people don't believe that um, not only uh should they go, they could go. They just don't think they would ever have the financial opportunity. And so now, because of the Tennessee Promise, families all across the state of Tennessee are talking with their kindergartners, their first graders, and, and telling, telling them, uh, expect more, believe more. You can go to college. All you have to do is apply yourself, do your homework. Money is not an option or not an obstacle. And that's not something that was possible before. So I think what we've done more than anything else is changing our culture, one of higher expectations, of hope of being able to get a better education and a better life. Well, and agreed. I mean, such a game changer for our state. And and you're right. When we, my team, or, or I walk into a high school full of 500 seniors and say, for you, college can be free. And not only is it free, but we're going to support you throughout the entire journey. Uh, it's amazing to watch sort of 
students perk up. I mean, it's hard to get 17 and 18 year olds excited about much, but to, to understand that there is a path forward, you can come out on the other end, breaking a family cycle perhaps is a really big deal. Can I can just add, because you probably have asked, would have asked this or I just want to put a point of emphasis on the, on the, the critical importance of the mentors. And just, you know, the, as we've talked about so many times, the, the money is the marketing piece. It's, it's, it allows parents to tell their children, you can go to college. But the most important part is making sure once they get there, that they have a mentor to help make them successful. And we've seen so many times how the mentors really are the, the most crucial part of these young people's lives. If there's any listeners out there that aren't mentors, they need to sign up. They go to TennesseeAchieves.org, yeah. right? Always be closing. That's exactly right. <laughs> I love it. And you've mentored for 12 years. Share the story of, of the student that you worked with that was sort of a moment of like, okay, this this yeah. makes a lot of sense why we're doing the mentoring. Yeah, I, I share this a lot because I think too often many of us think that uh, students or young people are, are overindulged, uh, over-encouraged. You hear too much about you know these uh, helicopter parents where they're, they're constantly doting on their children. And that's true. There are a lot, there's a lot of that, but there's also the same time, a lot of children that don't have anybody in their life that believes in them. You know, uh, myself included as a, as a father, you tell your children, oh, you can do anything. And even if you can't, um, but there are some children that in their life, there's nobody that ever tells them they can, they can do something. And, and they have so many different obstacles that, uh, that it was, I think the most important thing is having a mentor there to be able to give them that positive bit of encouragement for me. Uh, every year for, I guess now 12 years, I've been a mentor. And I remember, I guess it was about five or six years ago, um, I had uh, a, a, young man, a young man named Dustin that I was a mentor to. Every year we'd get together, you know, with all my mentors for, or my mentees uh, for pizza before the first meeting. It was, it's not, it's not required, but it's just something I like to do. We'd go to Barley's and I'd have uh, their parent or parents come join them and just to get, get acquainted. And I remember Dustin came with his mom, um, I, because the father had been long gone from, from his life. And we had a, a good meeting. Um, I found out from the counselor, the, the student, uh, or the, the, the counselor at, U, at Doyle afterwards that uh, it was Dustin that really took care of his mom, not the other way around. Um, and about a month later, um, I got a call from, Dustin was going to, to Pellissippi. Everything was, we were on track and things were going well. But about a month later, I get a call from Dustin saying that, um, his mom's left. Um, they don't know where she's at. He's, uh, uh, but she's gone, and he's now living with his sister and his brother-in-law. And it doesn't look like he's going to be able to, to continue on with the Tennessee Promise because um, he doesn't have a car. And his brother-in-law said, "Look, I'll, I'm willing to give you a ride to Walmart or someplace to get a job, but there's no way I'm wasting my time giving you a ride to some college." Now we figured out transportation. We figured out a way. But uh, that's unfortunately too often the story for so many of these young people. They don't have anybody there to support them, to encourage them, that believes that this is something they need, they could do and should do. Yeah, it's having someone in your corner. And to your point, many parents are incredibly supportive, but many parents aren't. And I have countless stories like Dustin's over the years that I've encountered personally or mentors have shared. And they are the difference maker in our program. As you shared, I don't think we would have the amount of success that we've had without the 9,000 plus volunteers showing up for our students. So thanks for mentoring from the very beginning. Yep, you always get more back than you than you put in. And you know, especially being in higher education, but I think in any walk of life, 
just being able to walk in the shoes of an 18 year old for a, a, a few hours each year and and understanding what they're thinking and and the challenges that they're facing um, it's, it's it's good for for all of us as well especially those of us that are in the work I always say the students that we serve stay the same age and I continue to get older so <laughs> It's always good for me to have that exposure and understand uh, where they're coming from. We had a student in here on the podcast last week, and she was telling me who Drake is. And like, I was a very old woman. Do you know who Drake is? No. Do I? No. Yeah. No, no. Well, I'll get you in touch with Tamari. But they're fun <laughs> to talk to about all sorts of things, and you can learn um, so much. But they've been, many of them have lived incredible um, an incredible amount of life to get to where they are. What's your proudest Tennessee Achieves moment? Do you have one when you think about our 12 years together? Do you have a, a proudest moment? Oh, that, that would, that's a really great question. I don't know that I could pick one. Something just popped in my mind. I, I, mean, I probably want to re, rethink this, but I remember when the governor announced the Tennessee Promise uh, at the State of the State and how all the legislators stood up on their feet and cheered when he, we announced that. That was, I don't know if it's proud, but it was definitely a very momentous moment knowing that uh, the, our governor just announced that he was going to support this in perpetuity with this endowment. And then to see the, the enthusiasm from the legislature, I knew at that moment that we turned a corner. And that was a, so it was a big moment. I don't know if it's necessarily proud about it. We, we, there was a lot of work that went to get to that point, though. But uh, I think, you know, uh, just a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, I guess it is now, um, you and I got to have an event here in Knoxville where we did celebrate over 10,000 students uh, going to college just from our, our home county. So we've done so much more, but I, I remember thinking early on, uh, wouldn't it be great if we could ever get to that one day before I die and we got to achieve it. I've still got uh, hopefully a few years Long left. Long before you die. <laughs> yeah. that, that was a pretty big moment yeah. too. It was. And I mean, you know, we've talked about it, but haven't said the in incredibly important, pivotal role that Governor Haslam played in all of this. I think without his leadership, we would still be out raising dollars privately to try to further our mission. So he was huge and, and continues to be an incredible supporter of the work. Yeah, he's doing a, a tremendous amount in our community now uh, after, his, after being governor. But, you know, as governor, we were blessed as a state to have him in the leadership role. When I was the special advisor on higher education, I go to a lot of sum seminars or summits and conferences all across the country on higher education. And when you get groups of higher education professionals together at a table, we kind of all agreed on the basic things. So I talk about the five strategies that we're going to follow in, in Tennessee, getting students ready by putting uh, to go to college, by doing dual, more dual enrollment, more remedial classes before they got to college, making uh, accessibility more you know, uh, college more affordable, focusing on retention, helping adults get back in, making sure it's aligned with the workforce. All those things were things that everybody agreed on. It wasn't really rocket science. The thing that was so different about the state of Tennessee versus all the other states was then at the end of the conversation, the rest of the states would be looking at each other like, I wish we could, somebody in, in, in the, with uh, some influence in our state would actually pay attention to us, where our governor believed in us and was giving us the support we needed to, to go do these great things. Makes and is still very much playing a role in the work that we do. Yeah. Leadership matters, and we were fortunate to have a great leader. So when you think about Tennessee Achieves, this is a hard question because I don't know that I could answer it. But five years from now, what do you see for our organization or our work? Oh, that's a 
Great question, I don't know, I, but I would imagine that we're gonna to continue to lead the nation in FAFSA filing. I would like us to get to 100% FAFSA filing, we'll put Me that too. up there, yes. uh, and uh, lead the nation in college going rates and make sure that uh, our state, five years from now, actually conveniently is 2025, mm -hmm. and make sure that our state actually achieves its goal of 55% uh, of our population with some post-secondary certificate or degree. And, uh, there's no organization in the state that has an uh, ability to influence that than uh, any better than Tennessee Chiefs. I'm excited about the next five years. I feel like though we sort of big things happen to us here every year uh, because we're student focused. I think at the end of the day, Tennessee Achieves has been really successful because we've had we've been surrounded by great leadership who's taught me specifically so much about what it is to measure and what it is to, to think about running a nonprofit as a business. But I also believe that having the student always at the core of the work, we wake up every day thinking only about how to best serve students in, in Tennessee. And so I think that the mission part that you spoke to around Drive to 55 has continued to pulse through our work and has led to our success, hopefully. <laughs> more success even five years down the road. One of the things that I'm most proud of about you and the team that you lead is how focused you are on students. You know, I've spent a few years since being involved in higher education and it's really interesting in many higher education meetings, we talk about everything but students. Um, at Tennessee Achieves, it's always about the students first and foremost. And also I appreciate the humility of everybody at Tennessee Achieves. It's always about the mission. It's always about the students. Nobody's ever talking about uh, building any personal fame or 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 uh, uh, claim into all of this. It's just about the students, and so thank you for that focus. Well, it's a value, right? Yeah. Which I learned during my time at Radio Systems, which we haven't talked about, but Randy's company, where we squatted for several years while we were building the program. Mm -hmm. So always thankful for my time there, and looking at the values poster every day, sort of. Through osmosis. So we have a, a very strong set of values here. So tell me if you uh, were talking to college students, what advice would you give them? You're now the president of the University of Tennessee, uh, been there a year uh, and 14, some change, right? 14 months now, yes. Uh, which I, I love that you're in this space. I think, gosh, what an innovative, thoughtful, leader who's focused on students and accountability. So I felt like it was a no brainer when you, you stepped into that role, but any advice for college students? Uh, well, I'll tell the, the, the business college students, cause this is something that I share with those all the time. So when, when I was in college, um, my favorite classes were economics and, um, Statistics. Now, statistics I use nerd. quite a bit. Econ yeah, economics, not quite so much. So my, <laughs> the two classes that I hated the most, I just because they seemed arbitrary, um, were, were business law and accounting. Now, 30 years plus in, in, with a career in business, who do I spend all my time with? Accountants and lawyers. So <laughs> I would suggest to them, if you're going to study business, pay attention in accounting and business law because you're probably the most useful thing that you're going to be uh, learning. Um, no, I think I uh, first and foremost, uh, get engaged. We find that students stay in college when they get engaged. Find some activity, some group of people that you can associate with and, and get engaged somehow in, in the college experience. It doesn't mean you're joining a fraternity or living on, on campus, but find something, some group that you can connect with because that connection 
uh, provides you um, some support that you might need if you have a, a, a hard time. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, worked for me and, and statistically it shows it does work for others is, is uh, take a full load and graduate on time. Hmm. You know, it, it's cheaper to graduate on time and you're also more likely to be more successful. Um, so, you know, put, give yourself a schedule that it's not, you can cho choose the right set of classes that still allow you to be able to be successful with your grades, but at the same time, graduate on time. So we didn't even talk about the brainchild of yours. That is the UT promise, mm. right? So you want to share, I don't think we've talked about at all yeah. on our podcast it's, yet. Um, well, yeah, anybody, anybody that would have known my history probably would have seen this coming, <laughs> but it just seemed natural that uh, now at the university of Tennessee, that we would need to uh, try to provide more access at, at UT. Um, and it is our flagship, uh, all of our, our university of Tennessee Knoxville is our flagship. We have a university at, in Martin, which is a great access point for rural West Tennessee and then University of Tennessee Chattanooga. We want to make them more affordable. You know, the University of Tennessee uh, is the land grant university. And when Abraham Lincoln created the land grant universities through the Morrell Act in 1862, his mission was to provide a ladder up for the working class and the middle class. Now, today, that doesn't sound like such a big deal, but back in 1862, most people that went to higher education went to the Yells and the Harvards, and it was mostly uh, rich elite kids going to study law and the seminary and uh, philosophy and other uh, other arts. But uh, the idea of going to a, 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 having the average person going to a university and learning about agriculture and business were just totally revolutionary ideas. We want to live up to that, that mission. And to do that, we need to make our university more affordable. So we created the UT Promise, which seems or sounds very much like the Tennessee Promise. The UT Promise says that if you have a family income of under $50,000, in the state of Tennessee. So Tennessee promise, no income requirements. At UT, if you have a family income of under 50,000, which by the way, the median household income in the state of Tennessee is 48,000. So over half the population of the state of Tennessee. Um, if you have that income and you can academically earn the right to come to either Knoxville, Chattanooga, or Martin, you can come free of tuition and fees. We're the first uh, system like ours in the country that was able to offer something like this. And we're hopeful like Tennessee Promise, that this will again change the culture of our state, so people can aspire to the best university in the in the in the state, um, as long as they perform academically and and uh, and have the financial need. I love it because I think it gives options to students, and I also love the alignment that we created between Tennessee Promise and UT Promise, where students are essentially following the same path for both programs. And at the fork in the road, they can make decisions about what's the best fit for them to find success. Well, I think, you know, this is also going to be a great compliment to Tennessee Promise because our students that go their first two years at a community college and then want to transfer to UT can now do so free of tuition and fees. So it gives them yet another uh, opportunity. Uh, and then thank you and Tennessee Achieves for helping us to organize some of the, the, the most important uh, work, which is recruiting students and now helping us to recruit mentors and train them and then helping us with the volunteer program. Because like Tennessee Promise, this program is going to have uh, uh, mentors and it's going to have uh, uh, community service hours. And so we're partnering with, for those that don't know, with Tennessee Achieves to help provide the backbone, the infrastructure to get all of those things done. So I've had a few people from the outside say, wow, you're gonna have to recruit like two or 3,000 mentors to make this work. How are you gonna do that? The same way that we've recruited the other 9,000 every year. Uh, we, 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 do, we do this for a living. We know how to do it. 
Yeah, knock on a lot of doors, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, it's, I think you're famous for saying like we have to knock on a, a hundred thousand doors to get to the nine thousand, which is honestly yeah. true. Yeah, it's that people and Christy knows this when we go to other other states and people are always asking about what what's the secret formula? Is there an algorithm, a particular social media strategy that you use that just automatically gets all these mentors to sign up? Say, no, it's just a lot of work. It's a numbers game. You know, you'll pitch ten people and get one to one to say yes. So you just got to go talk to every Rotary Club and business organization you can find. It's so fun and, and incredibly rewarding. Okay, so we close all podcasts with three questions. Are you ready for those three questions? I'll, I'll, I'll know in a moment. Get excited. So the first one is, if you could have coffee with anyone, who would you have coffee with? So I, I, you and I haven't had coffee for a while, so I'll go with Chrissy Delahondro as my first choice. You already told me earlier that I couldn't use Jenny, so I would, I would say Jenny. <laughs> That's true. Maybe. But uh, somebody outside, I think this is a, a, a random one but it pops into my head. I've been a, a student of foreign affairs for a long time, and mm. it would be great to sit down with Henry Kissinger. Oh, yeah. And I'd love to hear his views of, uh, of the world today. So that would be maybe, maybe my mind. That would be a fun one. I like that one. What about your favorite book? Do you have a favorite book? I know you read constantly. Do you have a, a new favorite or a recent favorite? Oh, I, I will always say the Bible first and foremost, but second, uh, from a and I, I, I'm terrible at reading fiction. I never read fiction. Um, so uh, I, my favorite nonfiction book, would, which would be around business, would be uh, Built to Last uh, mm. by Jim Collins. Uh, it's got a lot of uh, great um, foundational uh philosophies that when you talked about the values that we have on the wall at Radio Systems, I think three of the seven values that we have are direct lifts from that book. I think you gave me that book when yeah. I was making my transition probably did. to Radio yeah. Systems. So I've also read the would book. It would be probably odd if I, I think didn't. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I recently read, I don't know if you've read this book yet, the Bob Iger book, the Disney CEO book. It's really great. Okay. It's I, like rooted in stories. And he started at the bottom and worked his way all the way to the top. And essentially, the message for me was you don't have to always be the smartest in the room, but if you're willing to put in the hard work, it pays off. I think he also was presented with opportunities along the way, but it's fantastic. So I recommend that one to you. Uh, what's your favorite class you ever took in college? Obviously not business law, but did you have a favorite class? Yeah, you know, I, I would, there was a, a, two popped in my mind, but I, one one by Dr. Spivey in uh, economics, which I, I loved him in economics. But I think my favorite one, I can't remember the professor, but it was uh, industri an industrial engineering class on time motion studies. And the reason why it was so uh, interesting was that the person that taught it was from a business. It wasn't a, mm. it was, he wasn't a, an academic. He wasn't a, 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 a professor. He was a, uh, adjunct, as we call call them, but he was a, he ran a factory from Morristown, I think it was, and he and when he talked about what he did, it was very relevant, and so I just re, I always remembered um, you know how how excited I was to be in his class, and also uh, just uh, the, some of the things he talked about from uh, about time motion studies and and just trying to do things ever, uh, as efficiently as possible, which also kind of appealed to me. I love that. I mean, it's extra nerdy, but I do really <laughs> like it. So thank you for making time. I know you're insanely busy, uh, but coming and sharing the story uh, of how what brought you to Tennessee Achieves and why you stayed. I, again, just to reinforce, there would be no Tennessee Achieves without Randy Boyd. And I think when we look back on the journey of Tennessee Achieves, you're, you will always be 
at the core. So thanks for being our heart uh, and thanks for making sure that we're always have our eye on the prize. And um, I'm completely indebted to you on many levels. And I've told you this before, one day I will muster up the courage to be able to tell you how important you've been, not only to our program, but to me. So thank you. Well, I think you just did, but thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to brag about all the great work you guys do every day. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Randy. <laughs>